Welcome back, everybody, to The Luke Beasley Show. It is Friday. We have made it through another week of American politics. I hope you are doing absolutely wonderful, um, and we have some fascinating stories to jump into, so let's get into our first. We talked extensively on yesterday's show about the most recent January 6th uh, select committee hearing that happened yesterday, and a bunch of interesting stuff came out of it and was uh, put forth during that hearing. But then also, there's a lot of interesting kind of aftermath-related things we got to go through and other um, conversations around this as well. So the first is that Donald Trump just absolutely exploded, um, blew up about these hearings, and dropped a 14-page document um, complaining about the fact that the election was stolen, that this is all a big political witch hunt, and also going through all of his claims of election fraud, trying to convince the chairman of the committee, Benny Johnson, that the election really was stolen. So all of this information you're sharing with the American people is horrible, um, truly unhinged. So take a look at this document. What was so funny about it to me was that he starts it all official, the Honorable Benny G. Thompson, chairperson, the select committee to investigate, blah, 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 right? Has his little seal up there official as can be and then you get down dear chair per, uh, chairman thompson and then in all caps the presidential election of 2020 was rigged and stolen and back to his twitter uh rantings and as i mentioned super long and then he goes through all these states and just lists off a bunch of uh bogus claims about why it was stolen um so you can tell he's panicking a little bit and we'll get to later in the show a little bit of analysis about where his focus is right now and while it does seem this is really enraging him maybe it's not as much of a uh, threat as the investigations uh, criminal and otherwise into him are and that's kind of where his head's at the other aspect that was revealed and then later in this segment we'll talk about if he's going to testify because he got subpoenaed by the january 6th committee uh, but first one of the aspects that was discussed a little bit was the secret service documentation of their communications, millions of communications were turned over to the January 6th committee, but because it's so much information, it's taking a while for them to go through it. So not much was revealed from that uh, in this most recent hearing, but hopefully we'll get that at least in the final report. And uh, Jake Tapper asked one of the members of the committee, um, Adam Kinzinger, about this, and here was his response. Some suggestions today at the hearing uh, that some individuals at the Secret Service in the U.S. Secret Service haven't told your committee the truth um, about whether or not there were any threats uh, ahead of the insurrection. You showed uh, evidence that there were some passed on by the FBI and others, uh, and also other misrepresentations. Tell us, tell me more about that. Look, I don't know what's going on in the Secret Service. There's, whether it's cultural issues, whether it's this desire to maintain secrecy, we know about the text messages that disappeared despite the preservation requests. Um, you remember after Cassidy Hutchison testified, what she had heard, you know, it was wasn't in there, but what she heard about happened in the limo. And you had these anonymous sources come out and say, that is being disputed in the, in the Secret Service, Tony Ornato and everybody will testify. We said, great, come in, never went in, never came in. They never had, they, they didn't come in to talk to us. There are a lot of inconsistencies that we're gonna continue to investigate from things people have said to evidence that we have gotten. That will be either explored in the future or definitely in the report. Um, so interesting there, just a lot of confusion there seems to be about 
the role that Secret Service played in all of this. What did they know? When did they know it? Why were they avoiding uh, turning over certain bits of information? And, uh, and why they deleted those batches of text messages, even though the January 6th committee said, hey, make sure that you keep all of this because it's gonna be important for us to look over. So I'm not making any specific claim. I honestly don't know what their role would even have been. Maybe they're negligent in certain ways, not preparing properly or um, participated in some kind of way, at least in their awareness. I don't know, but it's definitely confusing and hopefully we'll get more information about that. Now, as we talked about, Trump was subpoenaed by the committee. That means they are saying you need to come in and testify, answer questions. And so the big question is, uh, will he comply or will he try to do what we've seen other people in his orbit do, which is avoid, avoid, avoid until there's a big public show of them being held in contempt. And it does seem based on precedent, he could be, you know, forced like everyone else, despite his status to testify. Now, apparently based on reporting, he's actually down with the idea but he wants to do it live on TV, which makes sense, and not have to do the first round at least behind closed doors, which is usually the uh, way that goes. So here's a little bit about this, and then we'll look at Maggie Haberman speculating. Uh, it's unclear whether Mr. Trump will agree to a dramatic sit down with investigators. Mr. Trump believes he is uh, his own best spokesman and can explain his actions to anyone, and he often ignores the counsel of lawyers who would almost certainly tell him not to appear voluntarily. Since it became public, that the House Select Committee planned to subpoena Trump for his testimony, the former president has been telling aides he favors doing so, uh, so long as he gets to do it live. Accor uh, telling aides he favors, uh, I said that already, uh, according to a person familiar with the discussions. However, it is unclear whether the committee would accept such a demand. So uh, why would he want to do it live and not the proper way, which is not a big public show, at least at first? Well, because his whole idea would be to spew the same lies, to speak over everyone and try to claim the election was stolen and uh, all that type of stuff. And if you're behind closed doors and the committee gets the final decision about which clips are released to the public, then you can't really do that. They can cut out you spewing all your lies and just get to the important parts that they want to ask you. Whereas live on TV, he can really use it as a political stunt. Now, I don't know if that would be beneficial to him as Maggie Haberman and Jake Tapper speculate uh, in this clip here. That is actually one of the things that has animated him. He's been talking to advisors about how, uh, you know, he would consider testifying if they would air it live, which is also not surprising. Uh, it seems hard to imagine the committee would go for that. What he is very focused on right now is the other investigations that could lead to criminal charges. And that is still where much of his uh, energy is focused. And for whatever reason, he is very focused uh, on this lawsuit that's coming up next week where he has to be deposed, uh, where he's being sued for defamation by Eugene Carroll, a woman who has accused him of rape. The de developments around January 6th, he considers those baked in. Everybody else does not, but he does. That's, that's interesting. Do you think his lawyers would let him testify live? I mean. I can't imagine that, I mean, it might feel good for him, but I, I, I can't imagine that making him look sane, rational, reasonable. I, I mean, I, I don't see any scenario in which he ends up looking good there. 
I think that it would be, I also don't see a scenario where he doesn't potentially get himself into uh, a fraud situation when he's testifying under oath. And I think it would depend on which lawyers he is listening to, Jake. He has different lawyers in different cases, and he seeks them out for different things, and they are not always on the same page. Well, right, that's the thing, because he would be under oath. Often when he testifies under oath, uh, he just ends up saying, I don't recall, I don't recall, I don't recall. Um, because Right, so we'll stop it there. But I agree. I think if I were his lawyer, I would try to encourage him to stall, stall, stall as much as possible. Because in my estimation, there's not much positive for him that could come out of him doing a big public show um, and being questioned because they just have so much both in the moment that they could whip out to make him look bad as well as context from all their past hearings and the ability to point back at all this plethora uh, of information and say, listen, the American people already know what you're saying is lies. Now, I do think it would motivate his base because he could say, oh, this is a political witch hunt. And they would go, yeah, go Trump. But I don't know if it would actually help him with the people that are being swayed by these hearings, if that makes sense. But very, very interesting stuff there. Candace Owens made a recent statement during one of these Turning Point USA events. And I want to share it with you because I hear this talking point a lot. And I just want to kind of ponder uh, and explore it a little bit with you. But first, to take a look at this. We've now somehow gotten into this society where people are pretending what we're doing is equality and it's not. If we have ever achieved equality in this country, then you wouldn't blink if anybody says Asian lives matter, no one blinks. Black lives matter, no one blinks. But white lives matter, they fell apart, right? They fell apart because they actually, and I will stand by this as much as I possibly can and I will be the loudest voice, the actually worst thing to be in this society, if one thing I would not want to be, is a straight white male. For some reason, that's considered problematic, right? You have to be something. It's like people lie. They're lying on college applications. They're like, okay, I'm white, uh, but I'm also trans. And you're like, what? Why are you pretending? Because, oh, I don't want people to think I'm too normal, right? And people, you know, they're just trying to find something that makes them not white, right? And it's really staggering to think that once upon a time, that is exactly what the experience was for a black American, that being a black American was so problematic that you weren't going to be allowed into the room. Now you have the exact same thing happening reverse, and you have liberals trying to convince you that that's equality. It's not all lives matter, and that's including white lives matter, you know? So, uh, again, we've heard a massive level uh, or number of people start kind of sharing this and even to the point where Tulsi Gabbard whenever she did her big video leaving from the Democratic Party said one of the reasons I'm leaving is because they promote anti-white racism and uh and so I first want to say if you're out there and you're white please share with me <laughs> these stories that are apparently so prominent uh because me as someone who's a white guy just doesn't have the personal experience to resonate at all with what she's saying but I'll also say that what she's doing there is very, very dangerous and dishonest because number one, to say all lives matter is perfectly fine. We've talked about that plenty. Now to say it right next to um, a conversation about a particular group, so whenever Black, uh, Black Lives Matter was being talked about a lot, to say, oh, but why, why don't you say white lives matter? Why don't you say all lives matter? 
Uh, well, because we're trying to highlight a particular set of circumstances with a particular group in our country, and it seems like you're trying to distract from that, even though the phrase is absolutely true, all lives matter. Um, but then what she's also doing is saying, the days of racism against black people are over. Because she said, once upon a time, uh, you would not be allowed in a room for being black. And now that's what's being done to white people. Which, to compare, I guess what she's alluding to is like whenever black and white people were segregated, because they're not allowing a black person in the room in her uh, circumstance, to say that's the same treatment that white people are getting, when really what you're talking about is some stupid people on Twitter who are like, ah, oh, F all white people, which is stupid. I disagree with that a lot. But that's nothing compared to both the historic and current discrimination that happens on the basis of race towards black people disproportionately. Um, and so she's trying to simultaneously rub the bellies of her primarily white audience and be like, oh, you're such a victim, life is so hard for you. But then also take away from the very real experiences that are still being had by black people, by many other people. It's not to say that uh, everyone doesn't have hard experiences. It's not to say that your life is easy if you're white, but it is to say when we're talking about uh, systems that are slanted against people on the basis of race or treatment that is slanted against, it still is, as much as they want you not to believe this, very disproportionately uh, hindering and hurting black people. And we see that in countless studies, the way that black people are treated in different settings, both uh, interpersonally with police officers, uh, you know, walking into stores, being seen as suspicious, but then also on a systemic level, as we talk about so much, their uh, ability to have economic opportunity and stuff is still hindered based on previous uh, things that were put into place and haven't been properly ameliorated. So that's what bothers me so much about, about that. Not that she's trying to say, hey, while we're, because a fair way to say this is saying, while we're talking about the fact that Black Lives Matter, can we also recognize that all these other people are important too? You, there's an honest way to say that. The way she's saying it is absolutely the opposite of an honest way. And it is just trying to make people feel like a victim so that their story is one of this tough journey they're on because they're white. Now, the only thing I could find myself getting sent after this segment is, again, tweets of idiots. That's not what I'm talking about. I promise you in a country of hundreds of millions of people, there's examples of everyone saying anything all the time. It's about on a large scale level, what is borne out in um, broader research, that's where we're talking about this difference and that's where we're talking about her being very off and pretending like today is the Jim Crow for white people. So we talked about uh, the January 6th select committee hearings and the incredible footage that was released. Well, not played during those hearings was a couple incredible moments that were unearthed because of this investigation, but are now coming to surface um, outside of the actual hearing format. And the second one we're going to get to is of Nancy Pelosi saying that she wants to uh, physically assault Donald Trump. So I'll save that for a moment here. But first, Roger Stone, a close ally of Trump for a while, got you know, convicted of lying to the FBI or lying under oath or something, and uh, then got pardoned by Donald Trump. Well, after January 6th, because of his involvement, he wanted another pardon before Trump left office to make sure that he wasn't going to get held accountable for any of his election overturning behavior or um, anything around January 6th. And Trump didn't do that. Trump 
didn't actually give out pardons of all the people who were saying, hey, can you preemptively pardon me in case I get in trouble for this? He gave out pardons for other things, but not really around January 6th so much. And so this clip came to surface of Roger Stone, who just looks like a literal movie villain, uh, freaking out over the phone to someone about this news that he didn't get a pardon and, uh, you know, railing against Jared Kushner saying that we'll fight them with our security guards. And you can see he's like, spazzing out his whole body and uh then also calling ivanka an abortionist b-word whoo take a look jared kushner has an iq of 70. he's coming to miami we will eject him from miami very quickly he'll be leaving very quick very quickly very quickly he has a hundred security guards i'll have five thousand security guards you want to fight let's fight F you F you and your abortionist daughter jared kush oh my god <laughs> again if if he wasn't an anti-democratic uh you know borderline treasonous individual i would find him and say i want you to act in a movie because you're incredibly good as a villain in the way that you <laughs> with your face and also like move your body in a really stressed out way but there we go, an abortionist B-word, holy smokes, that is bad in many ways. Even though, of course, we're not big fans here of Ivanka Trump, still, that's intense language to be using, uh, and I condemn it wholeheartedly. And uh, then also, the fact that he didn't get a pardon from Trump made him that angry at this guy that he's loved so much and saying, oh, he's going to have security guards. We'll have more security guards and have a bloody battle with them. Okay. Well, the next incredible clip that came to surface, uh, came to the surface is of Nancy Pelosi while Trump is speaking and saying, we're going to go to the Capitol, uh, trying to get everyone to go. She is so mad at him that she says, I'm, I'm going to punch him. I'm just going to punch him in the face or something like that. And she looks at the camera and goes, I'll go to jail and I'll be happy. <laughs> Incredible. Uh, but this clip kind of shows you the buildup. She's seeing it happen on TV. And then at the end, uh, the, the moment happens. Take a look. So for our podcast listeners, she's watching right now Trump on the television uh, talking. Radical left Democrats, which is what they're doing, and stolen by the fake news media. That's what they've done and what they're doing. We will never give up. We will never concede. It doesn't happen. You don't concede when there's theft involved. Very dangerous what he's doing. He's getting all these people to show up and protest, stop the steal. He's putting all these crazy ideas in their head. And after this... We're going to walk down, and I'll be there with you. We're going to walk down to the Capitol. Now, if he comes here, we're going to the White House. <laughs> so she says, if he comes to the Capitol, we'll go to the White House. A little lighthearted at first, but she gets more, more serious. And Mike Pence is going to have to come through for us. And if he doesn't, that will be a, a sad day for our country. They're marching up. You can see them marching up. Our country has had enough. We will not take it anymore. And that's what this is all about. Secret Service said 
They have dissuaded him from coming to Capitol Hill. They told him they don't. So then, just because it's kind of muffled, uh, now they're discussing the fact that Trump was really wanting to go himself to the Capitol, and one of her staff members is notifying Nancy Pelosi that Secret Service, as of now, is saying we can't take you, Mr. President. But that could change, uh, is what the staff member is speculating. Have the resources to protect him here, so at the moment he is not coming. But that could. Change. Change. Oh, he comes. I'm going to punch him out. This is oh, my no, mom. I've been waiting for this, for trespassing on the Capitol grounds. I'm going to punch him out, and I'm going to go to jail, and I'm going to be happy. <laughs> okay. Um, let me just say, violence is bad. Don't assault people. But that clip made my day. I loved it too much. Uh, picturing age-old, um, some numbers of years old, Nancy Pelosi walking up to Trump and punching him in the face and then looking at her knuckles and there's just orange all over it, really, really kills me. Um, and I, I think that's a justified response, not the fighting necessarily, but to be that angry and to feel motivated to violence when you see him uh, getting all of these people riled up and then you look out your window and they're coming at your uh, building. That's scary. And that is such an honest response. And one of the things uh, that I experienced when I watched that was this feeling of like, Nancy Pelosi someone who, you know, she's a Democrat, so she's more aligned with me than the average Republican. But oftentimes, I'm not a huge fan of her. Uh, she, you know, an example of this is kind of seems to be standing in the way of the stock banning uh, for Congress members actually getting done, which is something that absolutely should happen and seems like she's standing in the way, so that's upsetting and stuff like that. Uh, I'm not the biggest fan sometimes, but this made me like her in the moment that I was watching it more than anything I've seen. Uh, incredible stuff. Dr. Oz got interviewed by NBC News, of course, running for Senate in Pennsylvania against John Fetterman. And I have a few moments from it to take a look at with you. Um, and pretty interesting. The first is he gets asked about crime. You talk a lot about crime. What specifically do you want to do on it? And he gets into some story about how he's seen a lot of people be subject to crimes. Well, yeah, but what do you want to do specifically? And that's what I'll show you. Later on, he talks about school choice could help or bringing money could help. But it seems like so many of these Republicans who are claim, uh, complaining about crime don't actually have specific policy prescriptions that would solve the problem, which is a common occurrence in politics. Politicians are often real good at identifying problems and uh, preaching aggressively about the problems without proposing legitimate solutions. Uh, take a look at this. I think a lot of the time when politicians talk about crime, it's theory based. Oh. Crime, what are you talking about? I remember being an intern in the emergency room and opening a chest almost every night of some, some young gladiator, never thought it would happen to him. And it's tragic for many reasons. One is a young life that's not gonna be able to live its, to its full amount, but you also have to talk to the family and the pain in their lives, which will never be forgotten, is also made worse by the fact that it was traumatic. And then I'd often see the person who shot the victim, because they often get hit as well. And there's this very deep, sorrow as they realize something that is not allowed, never tolerated, yet they did it, has occurred. They took a human life. 
And you realize the devastation on both sides. So I have a very visceral awareness of the... So uh, whenever you're asked specifically, what would you do from a policy perspective? Is that the time to jump into a story? I don't know. Again, it goes on for like five minutes on this topic. She keeps pressing and finally there's some vague things proposed. Uh, school choice was one of them, how that would connect. I don't know. Uh, but that was interesting. And I agree, it's heartbreaking. And that's a very interesting experience that he's had uh, being on the front lines, you know, responding to at least the medical side of, of crime, uh, but doesn't exactly answer the question. And then uh, take a look at this next moment. In, in, in draconian rules that do not allow judges to judge. What about the death penalty for drug dealers, which your endorser Trump has advocated for? I think that a, a appropriate, potentially death penalty, but an appropriate harsh penalty for people especially bringing fentanyl into this country, and this is important, making it look like candy, which is how a lot of these crises are happening. That you know, If a child dies taking candy that looks like fentanyl, or fentanyl looks like candy, that's a problem, and that, that's a murder. So however you treat murder should be how you treat those folks, and it might be the death penalty. So uh, what she asked him about was Donald Trump has been saying at rallies recently that he is for the death penalty for drug dealers. Uh, whoa. I mean, yeah, people shouldn't drug deal, but the death penalty, that's a little extreme. And one of the things that has been highlighted is the only countries that do that are some not-to-be-sought-after countries, we'll say, as far as the reality on the ground for the citizens. And uh, I think he can't publicly violate what Trump said, but then also probably knows that's a little bit weird. So he bent it around to people who lead to the death of someone directly. Like, yeah, if you could say someone gave candy to a kid and it killed them, that would be murder. Um, and it is super horrible what a lot of these uh, individuals are doing with the drugs that are super dangerous and are killing people. But I'm someone who even for murder doesn't think the death penalty is uh, the correct uh, decision because as we talked about, it's more expensive than just keeping them life in uh, prison. We've also uh, wrongfully convicted way too many people to get the death penalty who after DNA evidence was uh, brought to the surface, oh, they were actually innocent and then they got put on death penalty or death row and that's just like a horrible thing we never wanna do. Um, and, and also just the idea of the state killing you for killing someone is a little bit bizarre. But uh, thinking that drug dealers should get the death penalty is definitely very extreme. Uh, next, he, he says that uh, John Fetterman was asked if he had a magic wand, what would, one thing would you do? And he said, get rid of life in prison. Now, I don't know if that happened or not, but it was hilarious because the interviewer goes, well, I asked him that question. And his response was codifying Roe v. Wade and abolishing the filibuster. So is that really? Uh, the stand you want to take, take a look. When John Fetterman is asked, if you could wave a magic wand, what's the one thing you would do? The one thing. And he says, well, I'd get rid of life in prison. Really? I mean, I'd, I'd fix the economy. Actually, I don't need a magic wand to do that. <laughs> I could just like, get serious about stuff that's affecting a lot of people. Getting rid of life in prison is not the number well, one Well, I goal. asked him that. He actually said uh, it would be codifying Roe versus Wade and abolishing the filibuster. When John I love that moment. Well, no. Um uh, at least from my experience, what he said was Roe v. Wade and abolishing the filibuster, which absolutely beautiful response to that question. There's a million things. Oh, I would wave the magical wand and make our country perfect. You know, you could say that. But Roe v. Wade, huge. 
And then if you could abolish the filibuster, that would allow the Democratic Party to get so many things done that they can't get done right now. Because, of course, the filibuster causes a situation where in the Senate, the threshold to pass things is up to uh, 60 votes, which means to pass anything that isn't budget related, because that can be passed on a 50 vote margin through reconciliation, you have to get 60. And that means you got to get Republicans on board, which is very rare. If you abolish the filibuster, it would just be a simple majority vote necessary and you could pass a lot more things. So very uh, good response there from Fetterman to the NBC uh, interviewer's question. I like how she brought it up there. And then he's asked about his thoughts on Black Lives Matter. At your Safer Streets event a few weeks ago that, that we came to, you handed out a pamphlet with a lot of information. In one section called Justice for George Floyd, you said racial targeting is unacceptable. Do you support the Black Lives Matter movement? I don't, because I think it was a hijacked effort to address some of the deep problems we have uh, with race in America. And I don't think the Black Lives Movement did justice to the real struggle that we have. I, I've worked in these areas quite a bit, both as a clinician, but also on the show. We started hashtag more black doctors because there's some obvious problems that happen in the practice of medicine when it comes to, to black folks. At your safer street. Um, good that you recognized the fact at the end there, but I will say if someone asks you do you support the Black Lives Matter movement? It should be an easy yes, because the movement is talking about the general pursuit from Americans you know, nationwide to try to raise issues that uh, hurt black people disproportionately and try to get some justice there. It's fine if you have mixed feelings on the Black Lives Matter organization, because that's you endorsing a particular set of individuals who may have different uh, approaches and et cetera, et cetera. But the uh, movement is one that I think is absolutely beautiful and is easy to uh, throw your support to. The only thing that I, my main critique of the Black Lives Matter movement and the organization is, and this is probably more to do with the politicians we currently have, the lack of action we've, in, uh, we've been able to get because of the movement, if that makes sense. And again, that's because the politicians aren't following the will of the people in this situation. But all of the 2020 protests led to really not at all the amount of significant legislation that we should have gotten and reform that we should have gotten um, after all of that. And that's my main critique of at least that moment. It's such a sad thing to think about that with all the people that took the streets, with all of the um, ideas that were proposed, nothing really got done in the grand scheme of things. And that's uh, really heartbreaking. But there it is, Dr. Oz. We really want to see him lose to John Fetterman. It looks like John Fetterman has a good shot at doing so. Ron Johnson, incumbent Republican senator, is getting challenged uh, by Barnes, uh, Mandela Barnes, there we go. Super, super effective debater. And so they had their senatorial debate and Ron Johnson just got absolutely mopped or Barnes mopped the floor with Ron Johnson. There we go. That's how you use that phrase. It was beautiful to see, even to the point where multiple times the crowd is laughing at Ron Johnson, booing Ron Johnson, and uh, it was yummy in my tummy. So first moment, we'll take a look at here. We have a lot, so I won't even tee them up. I'll just show them to you. Into this vital program. Now, under my plan, a person making under $400,000 would not see an increase in taxes. And Senator Johnson is going to, again, continue to complain about the deficit, but had no problem adding $2 trillion to the deficit to appease his wealthy donors and himself. Yes. So 
Important point to be made over and over. Whenever the Democratic Party tries to pass things that would actually help your average American, oh, the deficit, we have all this debt, ah, government spending, blah, blah, blah. But whenever it comes time for Donald Trump to cut taxes disproportionately for people at the very, very top of our economic ladder, ah, deficit who? I've never heard of her. Um, and so then you see a situation where we blow up the deficit just to give more money to people who have plenty. And uh, Ron Johnson supported that. So I love him calling out that hypocrisy. Another moment um, kind of about the 2017 Trump tax cuts. Uh, Senator, the senator should be so audacious. Uh, he fails to mention that taxpayers had to foot the bill for his private plane trips between D.C. and his $3 million mansion in Florida, the vacation home. The 2017, the 2017 tax plan also gave tax benefits for people who make private plane purchases. Guess who bought a few private planes right after the 2017 tax bill was signed? Senator Johnson's family. We're paying for that. Working class families are footing the bill for millionaire lifestyles and it needs to stop. Mr. Johnson, Mr. you would Johnson. have a chance to you also have you also have a 60-second rebuttal if you want to use it. So that is a total lie. Uh, I never I never was reimbursed for any private jet travel. What I was reimbursed for was actually approved by the Senate Rules and Ethics Committee when I submitted the expense. My children spend some time in Florida. My wife goes down there. I visit them a few weekends. Uh -huh. I didn't charge for the plane trip down, but it's within Senate rules to charge for the plane trip. Oh, he's having trouble there. Uh, just, uh, you know, it was approved in the thingy magic. Uh, and then a really funny moment where it seems like he had a little brain malfunction. Uh, Ron Johnson, that is. Law enforcement. If, if you want to reduce crimes, you know, my opponent says that police officers don't commit crimes. Are you kidding me? You have a police presence somewhere and crimes aren't committed. It's not a guarantee. So I think he meant to say uh, a police, my, my opponent says a police presence doesn't prevent crime, uh, meaning just pumping more police doesn't necessarily lower the crime rate or prevent crime. But instead he says, my opponent said that police officers don't commit crimes and they absolutely do, which is uh, funny and I still don't even quite know how that sentence was going in general for him and then uh, Another interesting moment here Voters who question your record when it comes to police funding and reducing crime. Mr. Barnes. Well, thank you so much And I'm really glad you brought up the uh, The obscene amount of spending in this race and then notice how you said that the money is being spent to defeat me There's no commercials talking about Senator Johnson's record because he has nothing to run on he hasn't done a single thing for us. He's had 12 years to show up for working Wisconsinites. He has refused to every single day. Now we respond to voters. Absolutely. And um, that's what you see in a lot of these races is, and Democrats do this too sometimes, but I think you have to convince voters why the other option is bad and why you are good, right? So if the other option isn't particularly horrible, then just focus on yourself. Um, but if you're only focusing on the other option, a lot of times that means you don't actually have a lot to show for yourself. And there's a good balance. Like, for example, a Democrat running for president against Trump, okay, Biden. I think it's perfectly justified to spend a bunch of time talking about the threat of Trump because you're saying I'm the alternative to that. But you also have to say, and then separate from him not being in office, 
what am I going to do as someone who would be in office and what makes me a good option uh, to fill that spot? And I see in a lot of Republican races, I'm not really clear, as we talked about a little bit with Dr. Oz's uh, recent interview, what their policy platform really is. It's a lot of like, this is bad and this is bad and this is bad. What are you proposing from a specific policy perspective to improve the lives of your constituents? Not much. And as was highlighted in this debate, the major piece of legislation under the Trump administration, whenever Ron Johnson was a senator and was in a position where he could support the party that was able to pass things, uh, they were passing, you know, tax cuts. They did a little bit of criminal justice reform that I think was one of the rare things that was actually kind of good that Trump and uh, the Republican Party did during that time. But not much, mainly helping wealthy people get wealthier. And that's what needs to be focused on. And that's why they don't like talking about what they really stand for, because that's pretty much it. Um, next, a little moment here about Putin. Proud of the Ukrainian people uh, showing immense courage in a difficult situation. We need to do everything we can short of American boots on the ground. There's no appetite for it. Uh, and Putin also needs to be held accountable. We need to continue to call out his war crimes. We need to up sanctions on Putin. However, we have someone, Senator Johnson, who wants to praise Putin as a smart guy. Now, if Putin is successful in Ukraine, he's going to encroach on more territory. It'd also be a green light to other autocratic leaders. There was also an instance where Senator Johnson had to be sat down by the FBI and warned that he may be a Russian asset. We can't trust, we cannot trust Senator Johnson to protect democracy abroad because we can't even trust Senator Johnson to protect democracy here at home. Oh, so good. I'm getting so much intellectual uh, pleasure from watching this. Uh, that's beautiful. Because number one, you're highlighting this weird uh, positive bias that a lot of Republicans have towards Putin and Russia that I still can't understand. And also highlighting the threat to democracy that's posed by people like him. Of course, Ron Johnson was one of the senators that was getting pressed on his involvement in the fake elector scheme that he says he has no involvement, no involvement, but um, clearly there was some level of involvement. And then to give you three moments where the crowd just was not having it with Sir Johnson. Uh, the first, they sometimes will do this. I, I honestly don't like when they do this in debates. It's such a weird, like, let's all get along. But they said, what's one thing you find admirable about your opponent and uh, Mandela Barnes takes it the way that he should and says, oh, I think he's a family man, you know, genuinely. And then Ron Johnson tries to turn his answer around to an insult and the crowd boos him. In life. You have 30 seconds here. Mr. Barnes, you go first. What do you find admirable about your opponent? Well, no, no, seriously, I, I do think, you know, the senator has proven to be a family man and I think that's, that's admirable. Um, you know, that's absolutely to be respected. He, he speaks about his family. He's uh, done a lot to provide for them. I absolutely respect that. Mr. Johnson. I mean, likewise, I appreciate the fact that uh, Lieutenant Governor Barnes had loving parents, a school teacher, father at work third shift, so he had you know, good upbringing. I guess what puzzles me about that is with that upbringing, why is he turned against America? I mean, what, why, why does he find the founding right. of America awful? It's, it's, it's Somehow, we, it puzzles we me. did not. I said, Please we argue. said something admirable. Oh, and then the moderator stepping in, like the teacher condemning the student for doing the assignment wrong. Um, and then, another, <laughs> oh my gosh, he goes, you know, it's actually more expensive not to build Trump's wall. And the crowd laughs. 
You do have a chance for a rebuttal. It, it, it has cost us more not to complete the wall that we already contracted for than to actually build it. All right. Democrats have voted against three of my amendments in committee and on the floor. All but Senator Manchin voted against completing the wall that we had already bought and paid for. Um, interesting there. I'm sure there's an element of truth to if you start some sort of project, you get contracts, then it's logistically not the smartest thing to halt it. But a lot of the opposition from Democrats to the wall is not really the money because people will say it's the money. You could build the wall and, you know, at the end of the day, uh, you can make it happen if it was an ambition. It's more like the symbol of a big wall dividing. But I care about that so little. If there was a wall built there, whatever. Um, I honestly don't care. A bunch of people pretend like that's the worst thing Trump ever did. Not really. Uh, maybe trying to overthrow our democracy, a little more important. And then finally, the audience uh, laughs once again at Ron Johnson for saying the FBI set him up. Response to the wild charge of uh, uh, Lieutenant Governor Barnes, the FBI set me up with a corrupt, with a corrupt briefing and then leaked that to smear me. I am. No, I mean, right, let's, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I mean, all right. He is referring to corruption with the FBI, which I've been trying to uncover and expose. All right. So do we have time for. I don't know if everyone in that crowd came to see uh, Mandela Barnes or they genuinely just couldn't uh, take it with Ron Johnson or what. But Johnson probably left with his tail between his legs because that is just so demoralizing. You're sitting up on stage, you're a senator, you're so awesome and you think you're amazing. And then this crowd just boos you, laughs at you, and you clearly can't quite articulate what you're trying to say. And then the guy across the stage from you is just boom, like delivering all these one-liners and everything. So beautiful stuff there. It is going to be, let's see, as far as the polling goes, because after seeing all these uh, debate moments i'm like come on mandela barnes but it is wisconsin and it is an incumbent republican senator so it's going to be tough the most recent poll taken um, or the most recent average as it stands now is johnson 2.8 uh points up which you could overcome that with a good amount of democratic turnout so it's not impossible but it is going to be an uphill uh battle there so fascinating stuff Thank you all so much for watching today's show. I have a few announcements before we close uh, today's week. The first is for our podcast listeners. If you're not a patron, you're missing out. Patreon.com slash Luke Beasley. Tomorrow on our bonus show, we are going to talk about uh, the leaked Kanye West, Tucker Carlson interview clips that weren't shown on the official Fox News interview, but were uh, moments that occurred and got edited out and were bizarre. We're going to talk about a congressional candidate who, this is insane, out of New York. Um, I keep, I need to check multiple times to even convince myself this is real. Uh, releasing a sex tape to show his sex positivity stance. Hmm, interesting stuff. And then much, much more. And in addition to a very fun and packed bonus show, I will be revealing the new studio. Absolutely amazing. Uh, so again, Patreon members tomorrow will get to see that before anyone. Uh, season on Monday, and introducing the new producer of the show, Ben, and you guys are going to love him. Uh, with all that said, thank you for an amazing week, and I will see you uh, patrons on Saturday and everyone else on Monday.